Hi, I'm Dr. Melva, your board-certified radiation oncologist and serial entrepreneur and investor. Welcome to the 1% Code podcast. I help top income earners create multiple streams of income to support the career they love or the one they want to love again. Learn more on the 1% Code podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the 1% Code podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Melva, board-certified radiation oncologist, wife, mom of three, serial entrepreneur, and investor. And on today's episode, I am so excited to bring you another guest who I was able to have on my live show in the 1% Code Collective, and that is Dr. Laquita Frederick. She affectionately goes by Dr. Q, and she's an accomplished higher education, seasoned sports industry professional, and serial entrepreneur with multifaceted experience. Currently, she is the director and associate professor of the Sport Industry Management Master's of Professional Studies program at Georgetown University. Before her pivot to academia, she was an award-winning sports marketing and events management professional who held roles in collegiate athletics and professional sports. For well over a decade, she worked in the Division I college athletics and professional sports, including but not limited to Ohio State, North Carolina State, Orlando Magic, Atlanta Braves, and countless NCAA championships and events. She loves to travel here and abroad. She's been to five countries, 41 out of the 50 states, with plans to visit more countries, more states, and all seven continents. Last but not least, she's a proud alumni of both North Carolina State University and The Ohio State University. Go Wolfpack, go Buckeyes, go Hoyas in that order. It was such a pleasure speaking with Dr. Laquita Frederick, on the show. And I can't wait to share this interview with you. We learned so much. She had so many tips. She discusses multiple income streams, how she's created that. She gives winning strategies on not only being in a professor in academia, but a freelancer, a real estate investor. She's a real estate agent. She discusses you know, and she didn't get to go into detail this time, but we're going to have her back on her strategies for investment in the stock market. And she shared so many historical stories about the people in her life that were influential. So I welcome and invite you to listen in as Dr. Q and I talk winning strategies for creating multiple streams of income. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) How's everybody doing? I'm going to bring you in in just one second. We have a special guest. I'm so excited that you're here tonight. And I can't wait to introduce you to our special guest. Um, I have our information here. Going to bring you up in just a minute. Jesse, let me know that we can hear and see. For those of you just joining, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the 1% Code Live show. And I am your host, Dr. Melva Pinbingham. I'm a board-certified radiation oncologist, wife, mother of three, serial entrepreneur, and investor, and I help healthcare professionals and other top income earners create multiple streams of income. And tonight, we're going to have a very special guest. So let me know in the comments where you're joining if you're watching the replay, hashtag replay. And I am going to bring on our special guest. This is the first time I've used StreamYard with the guest, so bear with me. I don't get the technicals right. And uh, we are going to introduce her. Hey, 
Hey, Latricia, y'all look so much alike. Oh my gosh, let me bring her up. Okay, I'm adding you to the stream. There she is. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everyone. Okay, so we have audio. We have audio. So I'm going to introduce you if that's okay. Yes. Um, all right. So we have, and if I pronounce something wrong, I apologize. So welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Um, all right. So we have Dr. Laquita. Is that correct, Frederick? Laquita. Laquita. Okay, Dr. Laquita. I know Trisha, your, your sister. Yes. Um, and you go by Dr. Q. Is that correct? I do. Okay. And she's an accomplished higher education, seasoned sports industry professional, and serial entrepreneur with multifaceted experience. Currently, she is the director and associate professor of the Sport Industry Management Master's of Professional Studies program at Georgetown University. Very, very cool. <laughs> and, and before her pivot to academia, she was an award-winning sports marketing and events management uh, professional who held roles in collegiate athletics and professional sports. I'm, I'm loving this. For well over a decade, she worked in the Division I college athletics and professional sports, including, but not limited to, Ohio State. I didn't realize that. We lived in Columbus. North Carolina State, Orlando Magic, Atlanta Braves. Oh, wow. And countless NCAA championships and events. Wow. Wow. She loves to travel here and abroad. She's been to five countries, 41 out of the 50 states, with plans to visit more countries, more states, and all seven continents. I'm loving it. Loving it. Okay. Last but not least, she's a proud alumni of both North Carolina State University and the Ohio State University. Go Wolfpack. That's, she has me reading that, right? <laughs> go Buckeyes. I have to read that. And go Hoyas in that order. I love it. I love it. Yes. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm excited and pleased to be here. A little nervous, but nervous with excitement. Yes. Well, I don't know what you're nervous about. Like everything I just read. Holy crap. <laughs> like goals. Right. Goals. Goodness gracious. So I kind of want to talk. I was super excited about getting to know you. So just a little background. Um, so Trisha, Trisha, Trish, like I just know Trish. When I was a college student, I have known her from that long. And then it's like, hey, welcome, everyone. OK, so before I, I connect that. So I see Carol is here. Welcome, Carol. Jesse, who else is here? Sometimes it doesn't show me the names. Jelena, Keenan Foltz, welcome. Trisha's on. Welcome. Uh, joining from Columbus, Ohio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So excited. So I lived and joining from, oh yeah, and you're in Alexandria, Virginia. Yes. So we know each other, I guess, through Trish. So she was our um, undergraduate Delta, Soror, you know, chapter, everything. Like we love Trish, right? And then you're like her twin sister, it seems. <laughs> So, born, a, uh, born a few years before, but sure. Oh my God. Yeah, it doesn't crack, right? Y'all look great. <laughs> so so what are a couple of things? So I, your your bio just speaks for itself. So you, you go ahead and start. What is it that you want to share with the 1% Code Collective? So this is a group of high achieving individuals like yourself, serial entrepreneurs, investors. We have a lot of dentists in the group, healthcare professionals who have a career and they, they want to bring in additional streams of income. What, where would you start? Tell us a little bit more about yourself if it's not there and, and where you'd start. And let's, let's just talk. Is that okay if we're kind of casual? Yeah, perfectly okay. It's probably okay. the most comfortable thing to do. Okay, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Hey there, it's Dr. Melva, and I really hope that you're enjoying the show. I just wanted to take a quick break to give you a personal invitation to the 1% Code Masterclass. It starts on August 23rd. I'm super excited to be hosting this two-day event 
where we will talk everything the 1% code. And I will teach you how to take your six-figure income and leverage that into a seven-figure net worth. We'll talk about how to manage risk, career constraints, time constraints, how to turn your job into a hobby, and so much more. I hope that you choose to join me. You can do so by going to the registration page at drmelva.com forward slash masterclass. Again, that's drmelva.com, doctor spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R, forward slash masterclass. I hope to see you there. Okay, let's get back to this episode. Um, where do I start? Wow. Um, like everybody else, although I may not be in healthcare, I think most of us have pursued careers that we aspire to. Um, mm-hmm. And whether we enjoy them or not, some of us do, and some of us are looking for a transition. Right. I think just anybody who's in that type of mindset that you're aspirational and you're ambitious, no matter what you do for a living, if that's just how you are built, you want to do more. You want to accumulate wealth, not just for yourself, which obviously is nice, but you want to be able to make a bigger difference in society. Maybe you want to be able to give more philanthropically. Maybe you want to start a nonprofit. Maybe you want to become a real estate investor. Um, So I think it's a mindset first and foremost. And my sister actually invited me to your 1% um, Facebook group. And because she and I have these conversations all the time amongst ourselves. And what I really loved about it is I like symbolism. My undergraduate degrees were in English and communications. So the thing about the 1% that resonated with me, aside from the fact that it was a conversation I always have offline, is I always tell people in this world that we live in, um, especially as minorities, that we're not a monolith, especially blacks, we're not a monolith. And so when I think about the philosophies of some of the historical figures, I've always called myself a W.E.B. Du Bois black person. (laughs) And I say that because he definitely wanted to do it for the culture, as we say, Mm -hmm. but he also wanted to do it differently than maybe a Booker T. Washington or or Marcus Garvey. He really thought it was important for us to get as much education as possible. Mm -hmm. He thought it was important for us to kind of assimilate, not assimilate as in give up our identity, but to learn and understand how the majority move and how they work. And to bring others with us as we rise. Um, You know, I always tell people in my sports circle, I like to lift as I climb. And so Mm -hmm. I think that resonated with me because I kind of see this in the same spirit where Mm -hmm. we are people who are already accomplished, but we Mm -hmm. want to do more and we want to do more so we can do better for ourselves, but we want to do more so we can help others do well too. And I think that's the spirit of wanting to be an entrepreneur. And I think that's the spirit of having multiple income streams is to not rely on one thing, but to always be aspirational and ambitious and think outside the box about how to do better and how to live well. Right. Let me let me stop and, and get Jessie to put this in the comments, what she just said, because I, I think that's powerful. And I want you to expound on this a little bit if you can. Sure. I want to lift while I climb. Tell me what's a situation where you realize that's the place you are in? Because that's that's a lot. That's heavy. <laughs> you know, lifting other people while you're climbing. And I, I start to immediately think about myself and others in, in our circles, that imposter syndrome you hear a lot, whether you believe in it or not, that self-doubt, that sabotage 
and the ability to see where you are and, and lift while you're you're climbing. Can you talk about that and how has that stopped you at any point or, or how are you so strong in that? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm strong in it. <laughs> I think I'm practicing um, okay. because I too have imposter syndrome. Even just now, when you read my bio that I had to write, which by the way, that's the shortened version. <laughs> I, I bet so. Um, it, I'm like, who's that? <laughs> like that chick is dope. <laughs> like she's done some really cool stuff. Yes. But I've done so much that sometimes I forget my accomplishments, number one. Number two, I live in the present. So sometimes I'm thinking about my challenges, mm. you know, and like one of the challenges I have at Georgetown, it's a great place to work. It's, you know, it's, it's a very prominent university nationally, internationally, but inside I'm still, a, I'm an anomaly. I'm a black woman with a PhD in sports, <laughs> like sports management. And mm -hmm. I come from a male dominated field with where women, whether we're minorities or not, we are kind of like the bottom of the totem pole. So challenge yeah. has always been there in my career. So right. I think I think of it just that way, why I say lift as I climb, because I'm always climbing. There's always challenge even as I go up that ladder, but yeah. I'm trying to bring people with me as I do it. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the ways I've done it in my current position is to hire minorities, whether they are ethnic and racial minorities or whether they are gender minorities. Right. Um, I've tried to be intentional about that. Qualified, of course, but that's one of the ways I try to lift as I climb or whether it's giving advice to students or putting them in touch with someone in my network so that they can get a great job or internship. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we have to choose between achieving and, not, and leaving others behind. I don't think we have to wait, but we do have to strike a balance and that's the challenge. And so one of the ways I overcome imposter syndrome is not necessarily intentional. It's by trusting the feedback. You mm. know, I don't, I don't read my press, but I do listen to it. So if you have friends or family or colleagues or even strangers mm -hmm. that are saying, wow, that's impressive or wow, you've really done something well. Um, I like that speech you gave or I read that paper you wrote or mm -hmm. I hear good things about you from your patients. Right. Like whatever space you move in, believe what they're saying. Um, I just told somebody today that that struggles with this as well. He's a mm -hmm. he's a coach in Division One coach <laughs> in sports, and mm -hmm. he was like, "I really struggle with compliments." And mm -hmm. I said, "Take the compliment." I said, "Say thank you." I said, "You can struggle with it later, but accept the compliment." I said, "Because right. if you think of a compliment like you do reviews, mm -hmm. people go out of their way." to leave really positive reviews and people right. out of the way to leave really negative because they've had a really bad experience or they've right. had a really good experience. I said, so if somebody's taking time to give you a compliment, they mean it. Right. That means they had a positive experience with you. That means they saw a light in you. So I do struggle with it, but it's important to me to um, continue to climb, but right. lift others as I do it. Right, right, right. I, well, I, I, those, are, those are great points. So. I don't know much about the sports world. Like I was the person on the team that got like the, you know, <laughs> most inspired, like hardest yeah. worker, not necessarily the results. My husband is an athlete. My kids are an athlete. My sister's actually family uh, physician and she did sports management. So she's been around that a lot. That sounds like a very competitive culture. Like you said, male dominated. How have you been successful in creating additional streams of income 
with that balance in, in the sports world. And tell me a little bit more about your additional streams and are they in line with what you do in academia or are they separate? They are. I don't even know that I would say they're in line with academia, although they, they are to some degree. It's more so, to your point, aligned with my body of work. So okay. early in my career, particularly sports, it is very com competitive. It is very demanding, um, time, energy, all of that. I always say it looks fun and it is, but it's so much work that people don't see. When they see a nine hour, excuse me, not nine hour. When they see a three hour football game, that was a nine hour day. You see a two hour basketball game, that was a six hour day. And we're still working a nine to five. So it's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. So initially I just worked, but then as I climbed, I realized, okay, I can't just rely on this because it is competitive. Mm -hmm. And people in our profession actually love what they do. So they very seldom leave a role unless they're going to another one. And I didn't want to be limited to the whims of the industry. So my first instinct was to do consulting work. So throughout my career, I've always made myself available to take on additional consulting projects, whether it was event management, whether it was marketing, whether it was PR strategy in any capacity. And originally it was very freestyle as things came. And I also made myself available as a volunteer so that I could grow my network. Right. So I may be working college athletics, but the NBA is in town. Do you need a runner that day? Because it allows you to meet those people and expand your network. And then you're able to take advantage of that if you do want to do consulting projects or one-offs here and there. And there is a lot of freelance work in the sports world outside of the day-to-day the -day professions. That was my first instinct. The next one was when I bought my home. A lot of people are excited to buy their first home because it's their first home. Right, right. <laughs> but I actually had gotten a real estate license and contrary to popular opinion, I actually got it to buy my first home. I felt like it was a strategy to know the industry from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And it was very beneficial. So when I bought my first home, I was buying it for myself, but I also at least 50%, if not 70% of my strategy was, I knew I was going to turn it into a rental property at some point. So I lived in my home for five years, but it's been rented for over a decade successfully and in the black. So I was very forward thinking in that purchase. I didn't look at my first home as my first and last home. I looked at it as my first home, but also my first property in my investment portfolio. So that's another way. And then as I've moved on, the freelance went from being freelance to being more structured. So now my sister and I actually have a formal incorporated consulting company. We've had it for five years and we take on organizational like major projects. So we have a corporate client right now. And yes, she and I both work full time. So we made sure in securing that contract. And I heard this on one of your lives. <laughs> it's important <laughs> to hire a team. Yes. yes. And so we made sure that we wrote that into the proposal that we could afford to hire other consultants, admins, contractors, whomever we needed to bring that project to life. So that's the Cliff Notes version, but I'm sure we'll get into the weeds of it as we talk. Right. right. But, but, you know, a couple of questions. Yeah. It's a little bit of an echo. That's what my sound is. Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, so a couple of questions I have is, I want to go back to you being in an, you're, you're an employee position, correct, at Georgetown. So 
where did you learn and what guidance did you get or what mentorship did you get? A, a lot of the, the people in our group are stuck with the career constraints. Like actually the podcast came out today and we talk about that. And I talk to people and they're like, well, I have a contract. I'm in academia. I can't do this legally. I can't make money outside of this. I can't do that. Where did you seek guidance from that? Or how did you set that up? Or did you start with that saying, hey, look, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to make these other income streams. This is what I have to have. How did you navigate that? If, if you could talk about that a little bit. Very good question. Very valid points. And I did exactly what you said. I start there. Whether I have an active project or not, mm -hmm. I articulate at the outset, these are my parameters. And I don't say this often because I do have imposter syndrome, but when it comes to negotiating, I can hold my own. And I <laughs> you want me because I'm good at what I do and I'm the best at what I do, or I'm bringing a certain body of experience and you bring, then you hire me and then you hire my, my boundaries. So most academic positions though, it's not entirely that you can't take on an outside position. The trick is you have to do it in the spirit of non-conflict of interest. So mm -hmm. like Georgetown, I probably shouldn't be taking contracts with Duke. I know you're a Duke grad. <laughs> probably shouldn't be taking contracts with Duke. Um, but I can take a contract with like our corporate client. That's not mm -hmm. another academic institution. So there's no likelihood of any confidential information being accidentally or even intentionally exchanged. Mm -hmm. So it's, there are parameters there. And then at Georgetown, the other key is, I can't speak for every university, but most major universities actually encourage you to be mm -hmm. engaged beyond the, the, the ivory tower. Mm -hmm. What they want you to do though is disclose. So every year, and, and it comes every year, you have to renew it every year, we are given a form and ask us to disclose if we have other companies or we have other sources of income because they want to have that on record. And again, they want to make sure that you're not doing something that's improprietary. So I just let people know up front. Um, and then I'll just say, honestly, another transparent thought, I don't ask permission. <laughs> I wasn't born with that. My DNA says ask for forgiveness. I don't right. ask permission. <laughs> Um, and I, I say that in jest, but I say it quite seriously too. I see it as this, being an employee, that is a limited type of option. It is an option, but it is a limited one. You are limited in how much you can earn. You are limited in how you work. Um, depending upon the nature of your job, you may be limited in the time you have to spare. I'm fortunate that I have the type of job where I don't have nine to five. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a very heavy lift, right. very demanding job, but I'm not expected to clock in. So I can kind of flex some things as long as my work is being done. It's right. done to the highest level. I'm not dropping a ball. I'm in every meeting. I'm on every top of every project. But you have to kind of be intentional about that. Um, right. Aside from me not asking permission, I look for those things. I don't look at a job and say, okay, I just need a new job and title and money. I look at the holistic opportunity when I'm looking for new opportunities. Um, and I consider interviews, me interviewing them as much as they're interviewing me. Right, right. Now, did you start there? I did not start there. I think it was an evolution. Certainly coming out of grad school, you just wanna hit the ground running. You're trying to get into your profession. You're trying to get established get some experience under your belt, build out your network. 
I think my awareness came in my late twenties. Um, part of my awareness came from my family. Um, my grandfather is kind of our inspirational entrepreneur. He's mm -hmm. now deceased, but he lived to be a hundred for one, but he was born in 1915 and his parents were sharecroppers. And my sister and I did interview him and we did catch him on camera before um, he you know, was deceased. But he talked us through that evolution and he started his, he never got beyond fifth grade. But he said when he got, I guess it was in his late thirties or forties, he mm -hmm. had seven kids, <laughs> you know, they had big families back then. Yeah, right. And he had a, he had a housewife, she stayed home. Mm -hmm. And he said he just was tired of not earning enough to take care of his family. And his exact words was, I needed to eliminate the middleman. Mm. And so he took the skill set that he had gained as a contractor mm. and he became his own general contractor and he started his own construction business. So when I think about somebody like that and the challenges of being born into a sharecropping family and then mm. living through segregation and Jim Crow and civil rights, and he literally put all seven of his kids through college. Mm -hmm paid for most things in cash and he was independently wealthy. And this is someone who did it, you know, really truly by those bootstraps we hear about. So when my parents passed, I think that's when that survival mode kicked in. Mm -hmm. And I started reflecting and looking around me at the people mm -hmm. and the examples I had seen of entrepreneurs and multiple streams of income. Right. And he did that as well because he started his construction business, but he also would fix it up additional houses on the side and rent those out. Mm -hmm. um, and he would also take on additional jobs. So whenever we lost our parents, it really was the tipping point of, okay, I've got to do, do this differently. Right. And I've just slowly started adding layers as I've gone. Right. Wow. <laughs> Can we give her some love for that in the comments? <laughs> The story about your grandfather, how you've used that, you, you've given us lots of memorable quotes and things to just reflect on how we could use it in our career. I, I, I think that's I think that's wonderful. And I just wanted to add that evolution. I found myself in that evolution. I feel like it's this uncomfortable spot when you first realize it starts. And for me, that that's my Ohio story. When I first came out of residency, I was in Virginia. It was supposed to be my dream job. I was training in California, moved my family to where my family was in Virginia. And it was just, it was a nightmare. And it was a turning point where it was, I'm better than this. I have self-worth. I will not stay in a job where I'm not respected, you know, between racism, sexism, everything. And I literally moved to Ohio. We were in Gallipolis uh, about an hour from Columbus. And we, we moved to Athens. I got a house in Gallipolis and someone was like, you don't want to live there. So I lost like $2,000 on a house. It was a, it was another, it was a black surgeon. He's like, you can't do that for your family. I took that $2,000, moved to Athens. So we we're closer to Columbus. And I went out in the middle of where I, it was uncomfortable, but it was that evolution of, I won't be in a position that I can't make a decision that's best for me, for my family. I can't move up. I can't bring anybody else up. So instead of, you know, and now I'm back in Virginia. So it's, it's kind of like a full circle, but it was, it's almost like the evolution that you say, the sacrifice and, and what you don't have to have. And I, I think I see a lot of people waiting until they have everything they need. They're comfortable. But like your grandfather's example, a sharecropper, not the money, but he built it up. I hope you join us next week in the second of this two-part series. Thanks so much for listening. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the 1% Code Podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and I would love your five-star review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on all social media channels at Dr. spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-M-E-L-V-A at Dr. Melva. And I want to make sure that you and anyone else you know that would benefit from the 1% Code Podcast is a member of my private community on Facebook, the 1% Code Collective. I would love for you to join me there. Link in the bio. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.